friends, uh, I, I'm going to be doing a series on the book of Romans uh, for the next couple of weeks. Um, we're going to venture through some of Romans. And the reason I wanted to talk about Romans is because Romans is one of the most misunderstood books of the entire Bible, I believe. My personal opinion, I believe that the book of Romans is oftentimes used to kind of twist or beat back the message of grace and the message of finished work. And oftentimes the words of Paul, I believe, are used greatly out of context at best and uh, illicitly at worst um, to, to change the, the narrative of what Christ came to do and what he has provided to mankind through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so I want to tell you in Paul's own words, I want to reframe for us the book of Romans so that when the book of Romans comes up, that we understand the perspective from which Paul was writing from and also what he was communicating through the book. How many of you know you can take one verse out, but if you don't understand the context of the story of what he's saying, you can miss the whole point. How many believe that? If you've ever walked into the middle of a movie and you, you saw something going on, you have no idea. Do they jump back in time? Is it this the fast forward? Where are they in the storyline? And so I kind of like starting from the beginning and let Paul, if you will, introduce himself and also let Paul tell you the perspective or the mandate or the anointing on his life and the perspective from which he's writing from. Does that sound good? And so uh, let's go to Romans uh, 1.1. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So he's called as an apostle, and he's specifically set apart to declare the gospel of God. If we, we, we kind of begin to break this out, we see Paul passionately engaged by Jesus Christ, identified in him to represent him. My mandate and message is to announce the goodness of God to mankind. How many of you know the gospel is the good news? It is the goodness of God. So Paul, from the very beginning of the book of Romans, now I've often watched and seen people take the Romans road, which is, which is a, kind of a journey through salvation, um, which is a positive thing. How many of you know salvation is a good thing? And I've seen them use Romans road to beat people up. And I don't know about you, but the path to salvation is not full of bruises. Or it doesn't have to be. Come on, that's not the way it was designed to be. And so Paul, from his own perspective, says that I have been anointed. I've been given a mandate to announce the goodness of God. And actually, if you, if you go into the Greek, it actually means that he, he has come for the official announcement of God's goodness. Paul declared himself uh, the apostle of grace. He said that I have come to the earth, God has put me here and he's given me a mandate and an anointing to officially declare the goodness of God to humanity. Now, if that's the way we start the book of Romans, how in the heck do we end up where some of folks end up in the book of Romans and what they're trying to extract from it? If this guy is writing from the perspective of somebody who's been anointed to declare the good news to mankind. Great question, right? So let's continue on here. We're going to skip down to verse 5, same chapter, Romans 1, verse 5. It says, through him, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you are also, you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to who all sorry, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Lord, 
our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's writing to the Romans. He's writing to this people group who are Gentiles. They're not Jews. And one of the first messages he wants to communicate to them is that we have received grace, and I am bringing you as an apostle of grace the message of grace. Come on. Doesn't sound like we're setting up Romans, does it? He says, I, I am an apostle of grace. I have received grace, and now I have come to share grace with you. Grace and peace is how he finishes this off. So let's look at this. We're going to read this in the, in the mirror together. The grace and commission we receive from him is to bring about a faith-inspired lifestyle in all the nation. For his name is the claim on the human race. How crazy is this? How many of you want a faith-inspired lifestyle? Come on. We've heard a lot about faith over the years from different camps and different places. And, and I've been kind of talking about what faith looks like and the substance of faith for the last couple of weeks. But I think each and every one of us as believers, we want to live a faith-inspired lifestyle. And hopefully today, as we journey through this, this, this idea of obedience that we see here in verse 5, we'll begin to understand what that looks like. So grace and commission we receive from him is to bring about a faith-inspired lifestyle in all the nations. And his name is the claim on the human race. How crazy is that? I love that. In, in the NASB, it says, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. The obedience, come on, the obedience, that is not a word we like, is it? The obedience of faith among the Gentiles. Now, why did he, why did he decipher or differentiate here by by, by telling us what kind of obedience. Why do you say the obedience of the faith or the obedience of faith? Well, because the Jews and even the Gentiles um, and those of the day understood even in the, the different religions that were being practiced in that region, it was all about uh, a law-based system, a judicial system of pleasing their God or gods. And he was trying to explain to them, if you actually read the Greek here, you're going to find out that he specifically addressed the obedience of faith for a reason. And when we read the Greek, this is what it actually means. It says, Paul immediately set out to give a new definition to the term obedience, no longer by law, but of faith. And that word obedience from the Greek means this. Are you ready for this? It means to be under the influence of what you have heard. Come on. It means to be under the influence of what you heard. So here we have Paul saying, I have come to declare the goodness of God to you. And he's saying to them, I need you to be under the influence of what I'm getting ready to tell you about his grace and goodness. What would it look like if we lived under the influence of the goodness of God? What would it look if we lived under the influence of what he says? And what we've heard, and actually the word here in this Greek actually means accurate hearing. It means to hear clearly. It means to push everything else outside of the way. And, and one of the things I told the first service crowd is he said, the reason I'm not afraid to kind of step out a little bit and be a little progressive with what I teach and challenge your mind, because if I get something wrong, I hope that we have built a culture here where you are going and studying it and learning it and looking it up for yourself because I don't want you to be obedient to what I say. Come on. 
I don't want you to be obedient to a book you read. I don't want you to be obedient and submit and be under the influence of what you heard on a television program from a televangelist or your favorite speaker on YouTube. I want you to be under the influence of what you personally hear and learn from directly from the throne room of God. Come on. Because I will fail you. I will mess up. I will have times where I come back and say, I don't know, I thought about this longer, and now I really think it, God was saying this. There's going to be times where a word might confuse you. It might whatever. I am fallible to the nth degree uh, in every area of my life. But I'm going to tell you this right now. If you learn to hear from heaven and you learn to submit your life to what you hear from heaven and you become, you live under the influence of what you hear from him, you will never go wrong. Come on. If you're listening to the voice of man, it's a crapshoot. Come on. You can come into my office with the same problem 10 times. I'm going to give you 10 different, different pieces of advice. Hopefully one of them's right. You know, we're, we are just as uh, mortal and fallible as anybody else. My job's no different from yours. I believe that God's given me uh, uh, an opportunity here, but I don't see myself any different than any of you. I just have an opportunity to clear my schedule during the week, to hear from heaven, to try to challenge our minds as a group of believers and hear for what God's saying over the city. And, uh, and at the end of the day, I'm a man just like you. Come on. And so I don't want you to hear what I say and go take it to the bank. I want you to hear what I say. I want it to spark something in your heart and mind. I want you to go hear from heaven on your own. And I want you to begin to be under the influence of what you hear from heaven. Because if you become under the influence of what you hear from heaven, you will walk out a lifestyle of obedience in faith. Come on, because the substance of faith is what he says about you and what he says about him. And if you become convinced of that and live under the influence of it, your life will change. Come on. Verse 6, in Jesus Christ, you individually discover who you are. I think this is important to understand. And the reason I say that is because, uh oh, there it is. In Jesus Christ, you individually discover who you are. I think this is important to understand. Let me tell you why. Because I, I have watched movements sweep the globe. And when you hang around these movements and these groups and these people, they all act exactly the same. They dress the same, they look the same, they manifest the same, they worship the same, they do the same dance, they kneel the same way. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. I, I, I've, I've been around this and I'm like, wait, that guy's doing it and now that guy's doing it and now that guy's doing it. I'm like, what in the world's going on here? It's because they have found their identity not in their individual discovery of who Jesus is in their life. And I got to tell this to you. I know this is maybe outside of some of your boxes, and that's okay. That's what I do. That's my job. Uh, but, but your relationship with Jesus is your own personal individual relationship. And nobody has the right to tell you that your, your relationship with him is, 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 is distorted or whatever else. You are responsible to hear from him and to live under that influence on your own. Come on, and not to worry about what the other people around you have to say about your relationship with him. Don't let people heap on you their own perspective and their own relationship with God. You, because what happens is you're just going to be a poor copy. Come on, you're going to be just a, just a generic copy of somebody who was supposed to be an original, and the original you will be missing from the world. And we need you as you. Don't try to act like me or dress like God. Don't try to dress like me. <laughs> Honey, this ain't comfortable, all right? I got spanks on. I got stuff holding things in place. 
Don't try to dress like me. Don't try to act like me. Don't try to worship like me. Why? Because at the end of the day, you are missing out on being you and learning how to connect with Jesus on your own, from your own perspective, your own heart. And if you want to run around the church like Tucker, run around the church like Tucker. All right. If you want to high five him on the way by, you can do that too. Thank you. Come on. Now, when you read this, it says, it says, in Jesus Christ, you individually discover who you are. The word discover actually means to call you by name. Amen. So when we allow ourselves to, to hear from him on our own and to be under the influence of what we clearly hear from heaven, the message of the gospel, the message of the good news, when we allow ourselves to flow in that place and we live from that, you actually, your identity will change and you will be individually who you were called and created to be. If you're weird, be weird. If you're crazy, be crazy. If you're conservative, be conservative. If you're progressive, be progressive. If you're a nut job, be a nut job. We love them all. But the most important thing is be you, boo. Be you. Be you. We need you in this world. Whether you're salt, pepper, or hot sauce, we need you to be you. Uh, half the time as believers, we say things we don't know what they mean. We're like, God bless you, brother. Grace, peace be upon you. In the name of Jesus, Lord willing, we'll see each other tomorrow. Blessings from heaven raining down. From the, I'm like, <laughs> what in the world are you saying? I'm like, you look miserable today. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> brother, I'm not going to declare that out of my mouth because as we are is what we speak and blah, 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 blah. Well, you don't have to speak it. We know it. You look miserable. You're having a bad day. It's okay, all right? It's okay. Be you. Jesus Christ made you and formed you and died for you, specifically you, to be you. All right? Is that too much talking about you? All right. Let's talk about me. All right. In addressing you, I addressed all in Rome. I am convinced of God's love for you. He restored you to the harmony of your original design. You were made holy in Christ Jesus. No wonder then that you are surnamed saints. His grace gift in Christ secures your total well-being. And the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is ours also, for he is our God. What a beautiful introduction to the book of Romans from Paul, where he says, let me tell you who you really are and what Jesus really did for you. Come on, we're going to jump to chapter 2 real quick. We're going to come back to chapter 1 in the coming weeks, but we're going to jump to chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read that together. Therefore, you have no excuse. Y'all are going to be upset with me now. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Uh-oh. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, if you read that verse all on its own, that sounds pretty harsh. That lines up a little bit more with people's theology of what Romans is. But then there's an or in verse 4. Aren't you happy for the oars? 
He says, oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. He says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness or the goodness of God leads you to repentance? I want to preach this, but I'm not going to. I want to get through it in the mirror, and I'm going to show you what this means, all right? I want to get through the mirror. Let's do it in verse 1. A presumed knowledge of that which is right or wrong does not qualify you to judge anyone, especially if you do exactly the same stuff you notice other people doing wrong. You effectively condemn yourself, and no one is another person's judge. Just because you think you know what's best for the person sitting next to you and you think you know right from wrong does not give you the right to judge them. Your presumed knowledge of what is right and wrong does not give you the right to judge them. And what I would challenge you to do is ask God to see them through the eyes of heaven and to filter your thoughts, your response, and what you say to call out the gold in them and stop seeing all the rough edges. I'm going to take this a step further. Well, actually, the Bible is. Just be mad at that, okay? I'm just going to read from here because I just don't want to look at everybody. (laughs) God must judge all transgression, but your judging others does not make them any guiltier. And if that doesn't knock you around, God is completely impartial in his judgment. You are not scoring any points or disguising your own sin by telling on others. Oh, Lord. You think God needs your help on what's going on with mankind? You think you make them guiltier because you're like, God, I need to talk to you about my brethren. I've observed some things I'm very worried about. Come on. You think God needs your help? No. You know why? Because at the end of the day, he's forgiven them anyways. So you got your panties in a wad trying to figure, I shouldn't say that in church. Your knickers, how's that? You got your knickers all tied up, trying to figure out what's going on with them, and the Lord's already forgiven them in verse 4. Well, they need to be dealt with and judged. You're not scoring any points trying to figure out what's going on around you. Sometimes I think the most judgmental, outspoken people are the people that are struggling with the most stuff. And it's watch this hand over here. Come on. Uh, I'm getting on something. I'll just have to get off of that for a moment. Verse four. Aren't you glad we're hitting verse four? (laughs) You're like, just get to verse four, man. Verse four, do not underestimate God's kindness for the wealth of his benevolence and his resolute refusal to let go of us is because he continues to hear the echo of his likeness in us. Thus, his patient passion. This is the the goodness of God leads people to repentance or the kindness of God leads people to repentance. This is how it translates in the Greek. Thus, his patient passion is to shepherd. That's where the lead comes in. Everyone into a radical mind shift. Come on. God is trying to he is patiently and passionately trying to shepherd and lead you, lead you into a radical mind shift. Well, Dan, how do you know this? Well, I'm going to show it to you. The word repentance is a made-up English word. 
We're going to go to the Greek and find out what that word actually was. We got the word repentance so wrong when this was translated. And if you understand and research the original translations of the Bible, you'll understand why. It actually comes from the word penance. It comes from the word penance. And penance was all about what you could pay in order to absolve your sin and mistake. It had nothing to do with a substitute. And so because in the English language, we didn't feel like penance had enough beef to it, we put re in front of it. And it became repentance, which means over and over and over again, you needed to make penance for what you have done wrong. And so we translated a word, and I'm going to tell you what that Greek word is in a moment, into something that it actually means the exact, almost the exact opposite of repentance. That word repentance in the ancient Greek um, language is the word metanoia. And meta means together with. And noia means mind. It has nothing to do with penance. And what it means is, is it means to get your mind together with his mind. It means to change and radically shift your mindset to the mind of Christ. Let me show you what this looks like. I need a volunteer. I need a really good volunteer. Okay, come on. You got nice hair. All right, come on up here. I don't know why you're so... Are you ready, buddy? All right, so over here, remind me of your name? Pete. Pete, they said it already. Okay. So Pete is living in the land over here where he deserves the judgment of God. Whether he's judged others for things he's done or whatever it is, as we set up verses one through three here, he's living over here, and here's the divider line. And God is over here, and God's saying this. He's saying, listen, you've judged others. You deserve to be judged. You deserve to have judgment upon your life. And, and, and he sets up this scene where, where, where this cycle over here of the condemnation of Pete's decisions and shame and all this stuff that's living over here in this world is, is not God's fault. It's probably Pete's fault and Pete's decisions and Pete's performance in life. But God... Because of grace, because of the message that Paul was bringing in the book of Romans and continues to bring it throughout the, these, this entire book, because of this, he, he sets us up by saying, I have come with a mandate from heaven to declare the goodness of God. And then he moves into chapter 2 and he starts talking about that even if you have judged people when, when you, when, for things you've been doing and, and you've gotten yourself in these situations where you deserve the judgment of God, he says this, he said, have you forgotten or have you made light the kindness and the patience and the goodness of God? And he says this, he says, he says for it is his goodness or his kindness that is drawing you back to a place where your mind will be radically changed to match what he's thinking, what he's saying. And so what's happening here is Pete's swirling around in this world and God's on this side and he, God has no, he has no business. If, if we're talking about law, if we're talking about judicial, if we're talking about right and wrong, if we're talking about you pay the price for what you've done, he has no business reaching across this divide, whether Pete's a believer or not, and dragging him back over to this place. 
But God, because of the cross, because of Jesus, he does this. He doesn't just say, hey, Pete, I'm over here. Stop messing around and wallowing in shame. It says that he actually draws. So he grabs him by the hand. He says, come with me over here, away from shame, away from condemnation, so that your mind can be changed. He says, take my hand. You want to know what repentance is? It is taking the hand of God as he leads you into a place where your mind can be changed and your perspective can be altered and you can begin to hear clearly and become under the influence of the obedience of heaven. That's what it looks like. Thank you, Pete. Come on. That's good. Pete, don't go back to condemnation and shame. Pete, you're going to have to walk the other way. Don't do it. I'm just kidding. You're fine. You're all right. You're all right, buddy. All right. Get it. Yeah, you can go. You can go. Pete, go this way. Yeah, Pete. <laughs> oh, how do I get myself in these messes? So... So it means together with God's mind, and the word suggests a radical mind shift. It's to realize God's thoughts towards us. Do you see, the, the, you, see what, you see what Paul's setting up in chapter 1? He's saying, no, listen, obedience in faith is different than what you think it is. Obedience in faith means that you're beginning to become under the influence of what you accurately hear. He's talking about what you hear and what you allow into your mind and how, what you're feeding off of and living your life from. And then in chapter 2, he begins again by saying the same thing. He's like, listen, you deserve to be judged. You deserve all the transgression that you have committed. And you walk around judging other people. And it, this is a mess. But then he says, do not underestimate God's kindness for, his, for this. His patient passion is to lead people, everyone, into a radical mind shift. Come on. I want to read this to you, and I want to show you this principle in Habakkuk uh, as we close today. Habakkuk chapter 3 says this. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. I want you to see what he's setting up here. He's writing, and this is very poetic, what we hear, but I want you to see what all these things have in common. These things, these trees, these crops, these animals are not producing. They're not performing the way they're supposed to. They're failing at what they were called to do. The olive trees are not producing olive. The fruit trees are not producing fruit. The crops are barren. The cattle have left the stall. They are not producing what they're supposed to be producing. They're not performing according to design. Verse 18, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. For the Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and made me to walk on high places. And this brings me to the, the slide that uh, Don put up there illegally, and uh, we're, we love you, Don. Thank you for helping us back there today. I want you to see this. The promise outdates performance as the basis to mankind's acquittal. The promise of salvation, the promise of redemption, the promise of innocence, the promise of holiness through Jesus 
outdates performance. Which means even if you're an olive tree and you're not producing olive or you're a fig tree and there's no figs, if you're cattle and, you know, we, 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 we oftentimes use the scripture and the idea is you're going to judge somebody by their fruit. And that's great when you're trying to get a gauge maybe for someone and they're fitting for ministry or whatever it may be or, or where they're at. But, but I thank the Lord that even in the Old Testament, we're seeing the prophetic picture that God gives us what we don't deserve. And I love the fact that we see these things that are not performing according to plan. They are not producing what they're supposed to produce, but it, is, it does not hold back the promise of God. And the promise of God outdates your performance. It overcomes your ability to perform. And the promise of God is yes and amen, whether you have locked into a place of great obedience or whether you're a stinking mess. His promise is still there. And what he's actually after is not your performance. He's after your mindset. And if he can change your mind and the way you think about him, he can begin to see everything else change in your life. He's trying to radically shift your mind to think like him and hear like him. Because if you think like him and hear like him, you'll respond to the world like him. And he is convinced that it's not about changing your performance or your behavior, but about changing about what you think about. And so his kindness, his patience, his goodness is saying, yeah, 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 I get it. You deserve to be over here. You deserve to be judged. You deserve that. But my kindness and my patience and my goodness is say, come over here. Let me change your mind a little bit about what you think about you. See, this place over here, it's all about, it's all about uh, allowing yourself to, to live in the cycle of your own opinions. And shortcomings and failure and shame. I've never met anyone that was like, no, I've never failed. I've never met anyone that didn't ultimately in one or two areas of their life feel like a failure, feel like they were falling short. That is mankind's problem. We, we fall short. Come on. We fall short. And we are aware of it. But it is his goodness that is drawing us back to a place where he can begin to change our mind. Change our, what we hear. Allow us to live under the influence of his voice. I, I feel oftentimes like this. I feel like, um, I feel like, it's twelve seventeen. I feel like, I said this to the first service, I said oftentimes I feel like we, we have a keys to two different homes, and one home over here is is the windows are broken out, and it's unsanitary, and the sewage is backing up, and and it's infested with pests, and there's no food in the cupboards, and it's dirty, and it's unsafe, and people are breaking into it, and and it's great chaos and fear, and it's all here. We have the keys to that house, and then we also have the keys in our hands because of Jesus to a house that is safe and protects us and the cupboards are full and there's nothing that can harm us. And the problem is, is that we look at this house over here and we say, yeah, but I couldn't afford that. Based on my performance, based on what I deserve, I deserve this. And so those keys, they stay on the counter and they never open up the home over here because we don't realize that Although we didn't pay for it, it has been paid for. And Jesus is the key that opens the door to that place of safety 
come on, protection, abundance, favor, blessing, sanctification, holiness, all of the things that we desire while we're here on the earth. There is a home that is waiting for you that he has given you access because of his son. And guess what? Guess what? You might think your name's not on the table, but it says that he named you. And it says that he formed you in his likeness. And so you're not going to believe this, but the day that you said yes to Jesus, your name went on the title to that place of safety and protection. Come on. And all you have to do is believe I may not deserve it and I may not have paid for it, but my heavens, he's given me the key and it is Jesus and I'm going to open the door and walk out of that place that has kept me bound and depressed me and kept me in shame and condemnation and walk into that place that he has waiting for me. I'm a firm believer. Do I believe that, that we're... We have mansions in heaven that we're storing up treasures, what the Bible says, absolutely. Sure, I believe that. But how many of you want to be miserable on earth? Come on. And how appealing is a miserable Christian to people who don't? No, I mean, really. I've gone out on the streets with people. We've been a part of a couple different movements of that. I've gone on the streets with people. Man, they just... They may not get it, but they light up when they start talking about Jesus. I mean, they light up because they get that the goodness of God has overtaken them and that his promise is better than their performance. And then I have been out with people that I would not take what they were given, even if it looked like a million dollars, because they seem so miserable. And honey, if that's what got you in that shape, I do not want it. But how crazy is it that we could actually live our lives under the influence of what he says about us, what he's provided for us, what he's done for us, what he says about himself, and walk into a place of safety and protection and abundance over here, waiting for us, and then in turn go back to the world and say, I didn't deserve it either. But because of Jesus, he has it waiting for you too. That's a little more appealing than taking them down the Romans road, which has been used to beat the you know what out of people. Instead, let's preach Romans the way it was written by the apostle of grace with a mandate from heaven to declare the goodness of God to humanity. Paul came to say, I am officially announcing that God is good. And if you'll embrace what he says and live under the influence of that, you will live a great life of faith. I have introduced the book of Romans to you today, and we will be continuing to go through the book of Romans. And I hope today you're excited about relearning or rereading the book of Romans and what Paul really has to say about who Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's stay seated so that the folks at home can see my beautiful face. Father, we just thank you for this message. We thank you for what you're saying. Here this morning, we thank you that we can live a life under the influence of what you say what you declare, the promises over our lives, that we don't have to live under the influence of our poor performance. So God, today, as we live this out, as we walk this out, as you, the great shepherd, patiently take us by the hand and lead us into a place where our minds can be shifted and changed. God, I pray that you brand this message upon our souls, that we would never 
ever, ever be the same again. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, we love you. Be blessed this week. Walk in this message. Let it rattle your cage a bit and, and learn how much he loves you.